I came from a low-income family that was that was struggling. You see how hard life can get. GCE became a part of my life because I don't want my family to fall back into that. I never thought education would take me this far. I'm still young. I still have a lot to do in my life and just want to get things done the way I want with a good education under me. I'm Stacy, and Grand Canyon University helped me find my purpose. Welcome back, Crimeaholics. It's your host, Holly, and today I'm here to bring another Missing Monday case. Missing Mondays is a segment that was created to help keep missing persons' name and information in the media the best we can and to hopefully help aid in their return home. 90,000 people are missing in the U.S. at any given time, and while some are found alive or deceased, the majority are still missing today. As we know, sometimes these missing persons cases have very little information, and some of our Missing Monday episodes can be shorter. But it's important to continue sharing their information because someone somewhere knows something. Before we get started with today's episode, I do want to make a quick announcement. I do not think we have officially announced on an actual podcast episode, but if you missed the super big announcement on our various other social media platforms, here it is. Crimeaholics podcast officially hit 1 million downloads on March 4th. This is something that we have been gunning for for a while now, and finally, here we are in the 1 million download club. I want to say thank you to each and every one of you who has listened to our podcast over the last two years. This is super exciting and such a huge achievement, and I honestly never dreamed that we would get here. The support and the podcast reviews and the word of mouth telling your friends means so freaking much to both Kenzie and myself. Also, if you're not following us on social media, you're missing out. Find our Facebook group by searching Crimeaholics Podcast Discussion Group on Facebook and make sure you follow on Instagram at crimeaholics.podcast. Okay, so let's go ahead and get into today's Missing Mondays case. Today, I will be sharing the information on the disappearance of Courtney Stauffer. Courtney Stauffer grew up on a farm with her family just outside of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and at the time of her disappearance, she was just 21 years old. And everything that I have learned about Courtney is that she was an absolute spitfire of a girl. Honestly, when reading and learning about her, she reminds me a lot of myself. She was very passionate and driven in all things that she did, and she absolutely adored being the center of attention. Courtney literally shined like a bright star whenever she was in the center of attention, no matter what it was that she was doing, whether it was sporting competitions or showing animals that she had raised at her family farm in 4-H. She adored all eyes on her. Anything Courtney put her mind to, she excelled in. She also was this person who could literally go from being outdoors and fishing and playing in the mud with her family to performing in front of an audience as a girly girl and never missed a beat. 
She was just this very well-rounded, can-do-anything-she-put-her-mind-to kind of girl. Courtney was also very family-oriented, and her family meant the absolute world to her. She never missed any kind of family functions or events, no matter how big or small, and her family was the type of family that they made sure to always be present with each other, even after her parents divorced in 2005. The family dynamic really didn't change for Courtney and her siblings, and the kids' wants and needs were always put first. After graduating high school, Courtney wasn't really sure on what exactly she wanted to do in life, so she began working for her dad for some time, but eventually she decided she really wanted to go into cosmetology school. So she followed that dream, completed cosmetology school, and began working at a salon where her mother also worked as well. But as I said, Courtney was very driven, and she quickly realized that she wanted to do more than just hair. While she loved doing hair, she also had a deep, very passionate love for animals. So she decided to become a dog groomer on top of working at the hair salon. So clearly, she was a very busy young woman. Before Courtney went missing, she started shifting her style and the way that she lived. She kind of transformed herself from this cheerleader girly girl to more of a hippie flower child type. She got some tattoos with peace signs and one that read, One Love. She would dress in those bright colored clothing from the 70s with those cute headbands and she started hanging out with some other like-minded people and this is also when she began dating her boyfriend Brad. Things between Courtney and Brad was very passionate and filled with love. Her mother said that she had never seen Courtney so happy and in love with someone like she was with Brad. Around nine months after their relationship began, the two of them decided that they were going to go ahead and move in together. They moved into an apartment that was on the second floor of an apartment complex that was located on Main Street in a town called Palmyra, Pennsylvania. Things in Courtney's life was going very well, and things seemed to be falling into place for her. She has this new boyfriend she's in love with, she's working jobs that she loves and is passionate about, and she moves into her new home and is able to bring her very beloved dog with her. And she was finally experiencing that freedom that I think we all feel when we first move out of our parents' home for the very first time. Being that Courtney was a young girl with lots of friends, she often was the host of many house parties. And given that she lived in a small apartment complex on the second floor, those who lived around her in the complex weren't very pleased with the parties and gatherings that she would throw. Nor were they really pleased with people constantly coming in and out from Courtney's place. On July 28, 2012, Courtney and her boyfriend Brad had people over like they often did, and the neighbors were just kind of fed up with it. But the neighbors also had a little bit of scoop on Brad. On that night, Brad was still on probation for drinking and driving under the influence while underage. And it seems like the neighbors, in their sense of being fed up with these parties, used this tidbit of information against them, and they went ahead and called the police. When the police arrived, as well as Brad's probation officer, they did find alcohol within the residence, so they arrested Brad. 
This sent Courtney into an absolute panic. According to a YouTube video I watched, Courtney was under the impression that because Brad got arrested while on probation, he was going to have to serve the remaining time of his probation in prison, which apparently was around like four years worth of time behind bars that she thought he was facing. Naturally, this caused her to panic because the two of them literally just moved in together and they were trying to begin this new life. They had goals and dreams that they wanted to work towards and this was absolutely going to throw a wrench in all of that. But not only was she stressed and panicked about him potentially going away for years, she was livid over the fact that her neighbors called the cops on them. Around 9.50 p.m. on that night of July 28th, Courtney called her mom to kind of vent to her about the whole entire situation. She was obviously very upset and distressed, and she expressed her anger over the situation and how it was completely unfair. Her mom told her that she could come to her house if she wanted to leave the apartment to go somewhere to cool off or if she just didn't want to stay there alone. She told her mom it was fine, she would stay at the apartment and work it out herself. After getting off the phone with her mom, she called one of her friends by the name of Cody Pruitt. Now, I'm not 100% sure on how she and Cody became friends, but they had been friends for quite a while and the two of them met up at a place called The Gas Station. The gas station was a bar, and while at the bar, they had some drinks, and then they met up with one of Cody's friends by the name of Milton Rodriguez, as well as another couple. After they finished hanging out, they decided to get into Milton's car with Cody behind the wheel, and they made the nearly 30-minute trek to Harrisburg, which has a street called Second Street, which is known by people to be the place to bar hop. Lots of people would go to Harrisburg because they had so much to do, so much to see, and plenty of places to party. As the night progressed and Courtney and her friends went from the gas station to the bars in Harrisburg, they obviously were throwing back some drinks. Given that she went through a crazy night earlier in the evening with witnessing her boyfriend being arrested and then the uncertainty that came with that, I would guess that she was just trying to make herself kind of forget and try and enjoy some time without focusing on the many questions that lie ahead of her. So Courtney was extremely intoxicated, and while in Harrisburg at one of the bars off of 2nd Street, she ends up getting into some sort of argument or fight with another male bar patron. From my understanding, this person wasn't someone that she had gone to Harrisburg with, but she was an acquaintance of this guy. Courtney had approached this man and she accused him of breaking into her apartment and stealing stuff. Their dispute escalated so much so that Courtney was actually escorted out of the building by bar security staff. But those friends who she had gone to Harrisburg with stayed behind inside the bar, leaving her alone. Which let me remind you that she rode there with them. She had no car, no way to get home. And for them to allow their quote-unquote friend to be kicked out of a bar and then continue about their night is just crappy, if you ask me. But it goes to show that they really didn't have her best interest in mind at that point. 
So while she was kicked out of this bar, she begins trying to make contact with Cody. And she's telling him that he's her ride, she got kicked out, and she can't get back in, and she wanted him to come outside. Eventually, Cody, who was supposed to be the DD that night driving Milton's car, got everyone to leave. So they all made the trip back to Palmyra, and first they dropped Milton off at his place. After that, Courtney had convinced Cody that she was sober enough to drive herself back home and she didn't need a ride. So Cody went back to the bar the gas station where Courtney had left her car, and instead of just dropping her off and letting her go about her way, he decided that he was going to follow Courtney home because he really wasn't sure if she truly was sober enough to drive. When they arrived back to her apartment complex, this was sometime around 3 a.m. on July 29th. When they arrived there, Courtney spotted some of the neighbors all gathered together drinking, which this set her off again about what had happened earlier in the night, and she lashed out, freaking out on them. Once again, the police were called out to the same residence within the same night, and naturally the cops really weren't thrilled to be back. They told all of the neighbors, Courtney included, that they all just needed to get themselves together, separate from each other for the night, and practically said that if they have to come back to the apartment complex one more time that night, they were going to make arrests. All of the other neighbors settled down and decided to go inside their apartments and just leave it be. Cody to help Courtney, who was obviously very, very upset and angry, back inside her own apartment. Courtney, however, was livid once more, screaming, stomping, and was just causing a commotion. Her male neighbor who lived across the way from her was so fed up with the fit and the screaming that he decided once again he was going to call the cops out to the complex for a third time that night. This neighbor said it was absolutely ridiculous the way in which she was throwing a fit. She was screaming, stomping, throwing a tantrum, and if he could hear all the way inside of his own apartment across the way, he couldn't imagine what the tenants that lived below her could hear. He was ultimately done with the whole entire situation, and he just wanted the cops to come out and deal with it. By the time the cops arrived for the third time, it had appeared that everything had gone silent. Things seemed to have calmed down, the lights were all out, and it appeared as if everyone had finally gone to sleep that night. They did, however, knock on some of the doors of all the neighbors who had been involved in that dispute earlier in the evening. And when nobody answered, they figured that they had all finally passed out and the situation was over. The following day, Courtney's family had planned to go to the county fair like they did every single year. It was practically tradition for them to go and gather at the fair. This is something that they had done as children because this is where the 4-H clubs would show their animals, so it was assumed that Courtney was going to be attending with them as she had done in the years past. Her mother had tried to call her and text her that day, which she didn't reply, and this wasn't anything out of the ordinary for them at that time. Courtney was an adult living on her own. She wasn't in constant communication with her family, so they didn't really think much of this. She had also assumed that Courtney was likely at the fair having a good time with her siblings. 
It was either later that evening or the following morning that Courtney's mother still hadn't heard from her, so she went ahead and called the brother just to see how things went at the fair for the kids, and this is when she had learned that Courtney never showed up to the fair. Again, Courtney was very, very family-oriented, and though she lived on her own, she made sure she attended several dinners a month. She would have never missed the fair, given that this was tradition for her and her brother, so this sent some red flags immediately for her mom. Courtney's mom, Wendy, went ahead and drove over to her daughter's apartment to see what was going on and to check to make sure that she was okay. When her mom arrived, she spotted Courtney's car in the parking lot, and she did note that all four of the windows of the car had been rolled down, which doesn't necessarily mean anything. However, it was odd enough and out of character enough to notice. Now, with the car parked outside, she assumed that her daughter was inside the apartment, and if she wasn't, then maybe someone had picked her up and then they had gone out for a little bit that morning. When she got to Courtney's second-story apartment, she was surprised to find that the door was unlocked. When Wendy entered the apartment, she was greeted instantly by Courtney's beloved dog named Sheba. But something about Sheba seemed off. She seemed really worked up and almost overly excited to see someone. Now, Sheba was a little bit of an older dog. Courtney had gotten her when she was just eight years old and raised her from a puppy. Sheba was a little bit older now considering Courtney got her at eight and she was now 21, but Sheba was a very well-trained and good dog. Wendy noticed upon entering the apartment and after she greeted the dog that Sheba had had an accident. With how well-trained Sheba was, this was a huge indicator for Wendy that this dog hadn't been let out for a good long while. This was both out of character for Sheba, but also for Courtney, who always took very good care of her pets and made sure to routinely take them out for potty breaks. Upon further investigation, Wendy noticed that Courtney's TV was still on as well as the AC, and she also noticed that Courtney's shoes that she always wore were left behind, and so were her personal belongings such as her keys and purse. She had also found that Courtney's phone was still left on the charger beside her bed and that she had had 18 missed phone calls. Wendy wasn't really sure what to do at this point, so she called Courtney's father, Scott, and had him come over to the apartment. With Courtney's phone being left behind, they knew they couldn't reach her, but they wanted to wait at the apartment in hopes that she would turn up and they would get answers. When Scott arrived, he took it upon himself to go through Courtney's phone to see who her last communications were with. Maybe she had someone come and pick her up or something along those lines and just left everything behind. This is when Scott and Wendy learned of Cody. This is someone that they hadn't ever heard of before, and when they got into contact with Cody, he relayed to them everything that had happened the night before. Of course, Wendy had been aware of some of the stuff that went down with Brad, but she hadn't been made aware of the other things that happened that night. Nor did she know that the police had been called out two other times after the first initial contact. He also told them about the last time that he saw Courtney. 
He told them that he took her up to the apartment where she was still very, very upset about everything that had been going on with the neighbors. He said that she was screaming and stomping around and that he tried to calm her down. He said that when the police arrived that third time to the complex, he and Courtney kind of panicked and turned off all of the lights within the apartment and went to bed. Cody claimed that he instantly passed out and he had assumed that Courtney had as well, but he couldn't say for sure if she had. When he woke up a few hours later around 7.30 a.m., he found that Courtney was no longer in bed and he had to leave to head into work. He said he didn't know where Courtney was within the apartment, but he yelled out inside the home that he was leaving and going to work and then he left. He claimed that after he left the apartment, he took Milton's car, which he still had from the night before, and drove it to a convenience store to pick up a few things, and this is when he called Milton to try and figure out how to get his car back to him. He also said that he called Courtney and texted her a few times just to check on her. From what I found, the text messages and calls to Courtney from Cody matched up with his timeline. Courtney's family called and texted anyone that they could think of who may have seen Courtney or had any kind of contact with her. It had seemed like nobody had seen Courtney, nor had anyone spoken with her. And it almost appeared that between 4.30 a.m. and 7.30 a.m. on July 29, 2012, Courtney just vanished. Her family decided at that point that it was time to file a missing persons report. When her family reported her missing, authorities kind of just assumed that Courtney had a rough night. Given the fact that her boyfriend was arrested and then she had the cops called on her multiple times, she likely was just somewhere with a friend who her family didn't know blowing off some steam. So they asked them to wait it out a day and come back the following day if Courtney had not made contact. The following day officially made it July 31st, 2012, and no sign or word from Courtney, and she was officially reported as missing. Now, at this point, authorities really jumped into action and began searching for answers on what happened to Courtney. They sealed off Courtney's apartment and brought in multiple forensic teams to scour the home in search of any kind of clue or evidence. They also began pulling CCTV footage to see what they could find, and they also wanted to check out Cody's story. Given that he was the last person to have seen and been with Courtney, they needed to know if his story about leaving for work and stopping at the convenience store checked out, which CCTV footage placed him at the convenience store when he said. They also were able to verify that he was making those texts and phone calls when he said he had been making them. Everything seemed to match up. They interviewed several of Courtney's neighbors, including the couple that lived directly below her apartment. The couple also talked about how after the last call to the cops and Courtney stomping and screaming, things went quiet and again they didn't see or hear anything more from her. While the authorities were working behind the scenes to figure things out, Courtney's family was trying to recall anything that may have been out of the ordinary in the days and weeks leading up to her disappearance. They recalled that one of the male neighbors Courtney had complained about a lot, 
and this male neighbor happened to be the one that lived directly across the way from her. And he also was the one that had been fed up with Courtney that night and was the one to make that final call to the cops. When her family started thinking about this guy, they got this gut instinct that something was not right with him. Courtney had told her mom that the two of them had been kind of at each other's throat and just didn't get along well, and there was clearly tension between the two neighbors. Courtney had also told her mom that she found this guy to be a total creep. She said she caught him staring at her funny, and all around his presence made her feel completely and utterly uncomfortable. The weeks before Courtney vanished, she also called her mom to tell her that this neighbor guy had been videotaping her. Courtney caught him videotaping her while she was just hanging out on her front porch, which again is creepy and would make me so uncomfortable if I thought one of my neighbors was videoing me. On top of all of that, when Courtney's parents first initially arrived at her apartment and found that it was empty, they had asked this guy if he had seen their daughter, and according to them, he started acting kind of funny at this point. He had stated he knew nothing about Courtney or who she was and that he knew nothing about what had happened and gone on the night before when the cops had been called even though he was the one to make that final call to authorities when she was screaming and stomping around. They also noticed that he would never actually look them in the eye when he spoke. He also seemed super interested in what they were doing, yet still trying to keep his distance. Also something they noted was that this guy kept coming and going from his apartment, which obviously it's his home, he can do whatever he pleases, but what was worrisome to her parents, and also to me too, is the fact that he would leave his apartment holding what appeared to be a half-filled black trash bag. He would then put it in the trunk of his car, leave for some time, come back, and do it all again. So he left his home multiple times with these trash bags that seemingly appeared half full, stuck them in the trunk, was gone for a bit, came back to do it all again. Now, Wendy said that this neighbor had did this at least six times. I think anyone would find this extremely odd, and given the circumstances, they would feel uncomfortable about this person. So Courtney's parents, Wendy and Scott, took this information to authorities to make them aware of it and let them know what they had witnessed. Authorities did take this serious and they began looking into this neighbor. They were able to learn about a voicemail that had been left for a lady who was the landlord of the apartment complex. And in this voicemail, he was very disgruntled saying that Courtney was a continuous issue and that she needed to take care of Courtney and kick her out of the apartment. He then continued on to say that if the landlord did not take care of it, he would take care of Courtney himself. If you ask me, this sounds super shady and makes the whole thing look like he's potentially involved. And this wouldn't be out of the ordinary. Of course, disputes between neighbors happen 
all the time. And since he was the last person to be fed up with Courtney and her behavior, he called the cops on her. He called the landlord on her. Maybe he truly did take matters into his own hands like he threatened on that voicemail to the landlord. Of course, the authorities questioned him and he denied everything that Courtney's family claimed she had said about him. He denied recording her or even watching her and of course he denied having any kind of involvement with her disappearance. When asked about the voicemail, he said that he was very frustrated with Courtney and the entire situation. They also asked him about taking those trash bags out of the apartment, to which he claimed that he was just taking out trash from a home renovation project that he was doing. Despite him claiming he had nothing to do with her disappearance, authorities weren't 100% buying it, so they obtained a search warrant to search his home and vehicle. It is also reported that his trash had been searched, but I'm not sure if this meant that the trash that was within the home or if they were able to hunt down those black trash bags. They also had brought in dogs into his home during the search, but they were unable to find any kind of evidence to connect this man to any kind of involvement in the disappearance of Courtney Stauffer. Other neighbors also had their homes and cars searched, and again, no evidence of foul play was found. And there wasn't even any evidence of foul play within Courtney's apartment. Since all of the neighbors and their homes were essentially marked off as being involved, the authorities then turned their attention on the group that Courtney was last known to be with. Both Milton and Cody had their homes and cars searched, and they both were questioned thoroughly about if they had any involvement in her disappearance. From what I saw, Cody kept the same story that he had originally told both Courtney's family and authorities the multiple times that he had been questioned. As far as Milton, I couldn't find much information, but what I did see was that both of the men checked out. However, I will add that I know multiple people who had been involved in this investigation have been given polygraph tests. Now, as we as true crime buffs know, this can't fully be taken seriously because they're not admissible in court. However, it is a tool for authorities to use in trying to get a confession. But what I found interesting about the fact that people were given a polygraph none of their results have ever been released by authorities. And it does make me wonder why that is. Could obviously mean absolutely nothing, but it could obviously mean that they're holding something close to the vest with this investigation. During their investigation, authorities also tracked down the guy that Courtney got into the fight with at the bar in Harrisburg. Come to find out, he's an alleged drug dealer, which seemed to pique the interest of authorities, but he did have an alibi and was ruled out as having any kind of an involvement. But the fact that Courtney was somewhat associated with someone who was potentially a drug dealer had a lot more questions brewing. Now, it was no secret to her friends and family that Courtney smoked weed. This was something that she enjoyed doing, but they were not sure whether Courtney may have been dabbling in other drugs, so this kind of left authorities wondering if there was some sort of drug connection within this case. Authorities, though, were stumped. They couldn't seem to find any kind of connection to anyone being involved, and with practically zero evidence, they had nothing to go on. 
Courtney's family did anything and everything that they could to keep her name and information out there, including posting up an award, which at the time was only $5,000, but since then it has grown to $100,000 through community donations, which let me say that is absolutely incredible. The community really rallied behind Courtney's family and raised a huge chunk of money, and they also helped hang flyers as well as participate in candlelight vigils. Shortly after her disappearance, the Palmyra Fire Department also held a search that spanned a two-mile radius around her apartment, but unfortunately nothing of Courtney or any kind of evidence was found. After this, it seemed like Courtney's case went cold despite all of the efforts, the billboards, hung posters, bumper stickers, and national media coverage that was pumped out to the public. That is until March of 2014 when a woman named Amanda approached Courtney's parents, Scott and Wendy. She said that she had overheard some people talking about what had happened to Courtney. According to Amanda, two individuals were discussing that they'd killed Courtney while stealing some weed and money from her apartment. They also claimed that they had rolled her body into a carpet and threw it into the Memorial Lake, which is just about 12 miles from Courtney's apartment. From my understanding of all of this was that this woman who had heard this conversation had apparently tried to contact authorities about what she had learned. She had tried to contact them three separate times, but from what I read was that authorities didn't really take her story as serious because her story changed every single time she told it. So this woman apparently took it upon herself to contact Courtney's parents with the information instead. When the family pushed for this to be looked into, authorities did in fact finally take out sonar equipment as well as an unmanned sub to scour the lake bottom. And they did so for roughly five hours and no rolled up carpet and no Courtney was discovered. Now this lake, according to what I could find, is 85 acres and is within Memorial Lake State Park, which is 230 acres. A lot of people felt that five hours of searching the lake bottom wasn't sufficient enough time to properly search the entire lake. A private volunteer diver also came out to search the lake and they also found nothing. In 2015, Courtney's family hired a private investigator that has since been working on this case, but there's just such limited evidence and information to really go on. It seems like Courtney literally evaporated from this earth, which we know is absolutely impossible. So it's just going to take someone to come forward that knows something. Someone somewhere knows something, and it's a matter of time that this person either slips up and tells someone, or they already have told someone and they make them mad, and someone with credible information comes forward and ultimately blows this case wide open. Now, I don't want to get too much into theories because I think sometimes theories and speculation can be a lot more harmful than it is helpful. But when you search this case, you will find threads flooded with theories, and some of them are absolutely way out there. But I figured I would briefly touch on the top four theories that people discuss. 
The first being that, of course, the neighbor that we've talked about earlier who was seen removing the trash bags. He obviously was very upset and disgruntled that night to the point of extreme frustration, and a lot of people speculate that he was involved. Another theory is that Cody, her friend, had been involved since he was the last one to have seen her. The second theory is apparently there is a private investigator out of Florida who thinks that there is a possibility that Courtney was a victim of a serial killer who had apparently killed 18 women who fit Courtney's profile in Kentucky and the surrounding states. The Palmyra District Attorney does not believe that Courtney's case could potentially be linked to those with which this PI believes. A third theory is that she was abducted in the night, and that's why there has been zero sightings of her and the reason for no physical evidence being within the home. Perhaps Cody passed out, someone knocked on the door, she answered and was taken. There are just so many questions left unanswered with Courtney's case, but what those closest to her know is that Courtney would never, ever leave behind her dog, Sheba. So something awful happened. Every year to keep Courtney's memory alive and to remind everyone about her story, her family holds an annual float on the Swatera Creek, which starts in Palmyra and ends in Hershey. According to ABC 27, this is something that Courtney loved to do, and her family hopes that this event every year will continue to bring awareness to her case. This July will be the 10-year anniversary of Courtney's disappearance, and I hope that 2022 will be the year that her family receives answers. At the time of her disappearance, Courtney was 21 years old, with blonde hair that was longer than shoulder length, and she had green eyes and was 5'8". Courtney weighed around 115 to 120 pounds. She had a tattoo on her right arm that read, One Love, a tattoo on top of her right foot with three stars, and a tattoo on her left side of a pistol shooting flowers. If you or anyone you know has any kind of information on the whereabouts of Courtney Stauffer, or if you know what happened, please contact the Palmyra Police Department at 717-838-8189. If you wish to stay anonymous, you can go online to tips.fbi.gov. Or you can call the Lebanon County Crime Stoppers at 717-270-9800. Make sure you also find the Facebook page dedicated to Courtney. You can find it by searching Courtney Stauffer Remember Me. I will also have it linked in the description of this episode. Crimeaholics, that is all for this week's Missing Monday. Until next time, be aware and take care. (music) 